A reading from the book of Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, the vestments, the anointing oil, the bowl of sin offering, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble the whole congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Now a reading from the book of Ezra. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel. The people also wept bitterly. Shechaniah, son of Jehiel, of the descendants of Elam, addressed Ezra, saying, We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now, there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now, let us make a covenant with our God to send away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Take action, for it is your duty, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra stood up and made the leading priests the Levites and all Israel swear that they would do as had been said. So they swore. Then Ezra withdrew before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehohanan, son of Eliashib, where he spent the night. He did not eat bread or drink water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem, and that, if any did not come within three days, by order of the officials and the elders, all their property should be forfeited, and they themselves banned from the congregation of the exiles. And a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When the disciples had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, as we are moving through life together, we have talked about the communion table, the pulpit where the word is proclaimed, the baptismal font, the entry into the community of faith in the church, and today we're talking about the pews sitting together. So there we go. We pass notes in the pews, at least I probably still do to this day. Uh, we take note of those who are around us when we're sitting in a pew. We have our own pew, right? How many, trust me. Trust me, I know exactly where you are. One time Rick was going to church and he was ready to sit down in his pew, not this one, the first church I served in, and somebody was in his spot. I don't know if you remember this. He stood there for about a half a minute. I was worried that he might never sit down for the service, but he didn't know what to do because someone was in his pew seat. Eventually, he navigated his way around and had a seat. As children, how many of you slept in the pew during the service? How many of you still sleep in the pew? <laughs> okay, here we go. I know many of you are tired. I know it will be difficult to keep your eyes open. Don't fight it, sleep. It's good. 
We spread out in pews. We also squeeze together like when the Messiah comes and we're all just packed in and we keep moving. We take those purses that we put on either side in our jackets and we hold them in our lap or we put them under the chair so more and more and more might gather together. Sitting together is what God calls us to do as a body of people. We have three passages and of course I went to unpack them a little bit. There's a little difficulty, especially in the second passage. I don't want to ignore that. But these passages have in common three things, at least from my perspective. The first is about leadership. And don't be confused that leadership is anything other than within a Christian community, something that happens, and in the Jewish community, it is initiated by God and for God's purposes. We don't decide, God decides. Secondly, it's about bringing together, gathering the community together so that the community comes as a community of faith. But an element that is in all three is also about the need to admit sin or the need to confess or the need to have a sacrifice. The need that we are, even as a people, gathered in need of redemption. So as we go through the scripture, let's us look together and see what we might discover about the way in which God works and calls people. The first person that God uses in this is using Moses to call Aaron. Now Aaron was one of the first priests, he and his sons, and they were called together. Aaron, yeah, he's the one that made that golden calf, remember? I, he's just, I mean, I would think of somebody else maybe less sinful. That's good news for us. He calls this guy that's really messed up a lot. I mean, he had the whole Israelites ignoring God while they worshipped this pagan golden calf. And yet God chose to use him and said, bring Aaron and bring his sons and assemble the people. Bring a bull for a sin offering, a sacrifice. And he brings them together. Now, Leviticus' main concern is to help people understand God in their lives, kind of to order their lives. It's, it's one about the priests and how the priests bring people together and how God has laid out for them a plan in which they can be in relationship with him and with one another. Many, many years ago, a friend of mine that I had met at Mount Soledad Presbyterian Church had become a Christian, and not too long afterwards, her husband did also. I've shared the story before. It's worth sharing again, because it does have to do with the book of Leviticus. This husband was not happy with his wife becoming a believer. He didn't think she should be, you know, in the body of Christians. He didn't like that, so he thought, I'm going to show her wrong. I'm an attorney. I can study this. I get this. He started with Genesis, and by the time he hit Leviticus... He said, it's all true. It's all true. He became a Christian and a follower. Most of us pick up Leviticus before we go to bed at night. It's great reading material if you need to go to sleep. But for him, <laughs> it's a lot of law in there, guys. It's a lot of way of ritual of doing things. But God uses that material. And he called Aaron. And he set him apart. Now, a very interesting thing, if you look in, Gen in Exodus chapter 29 and then a little bit further in Leviticus, 
One of the things that was given to the priest that I think is a good word for us about how we live our lives out as believers is at the time, God had Moses take from the sacrifice, the blood from the sacrifice, and anoint Aaron's ear and his right ear, his right thumb, and his right toe. Why would you do that? What might those symbolize? Well, have we an ear to hear what God is saying to us? You see, the blood was to make things holy. Is the work and the way in which we serve God a holy place? It's not a works theology. It's not your salvation. It's just your response. So may the work that I do for the Lord be sanctified. And then to put blood on the toe so that my whole life should be a reflection of following God. Stained glass window, following Jesus for life. That our whole life is reflective in that. Now that was for the priest, but I think it's a good word for us. The people were called together. They needed to confess their sin. They needed to gather in assembly and see this anointing of Aaron to be their priest and to help lead them in the way in which they should go. Great example of the body gathered. Now Ezra lived about the same time as Nehemiah. It was after the Babylonian captivity and they'd come back to Jerusalem. They're still kind of in, under the coverage of Babylon, but there's a lot more freedom there. And Nehemiah is the one that began to rebuild Jerusalem. Ezra's job was to rebuild the faith of the people. It was a time the exile had happened and the captivity had happened because the people of God had lost that covenant relationship with God. They began to be distracted by all those around. They began to follow pagan ways. They began to do things that were not of God, and they lost that love, that relationship, the commandments. What God had given them to do, they lost. And they went into captivity. So they now are back in Jerusalem, and they have some freedom. And Ezra, who was called by God again in chapter 7, is there to help the people once again be a community. How does this chapter start? If you look at it first, at chapter 9, it, it's really descriptive. He's so upset with the sin of the people already. We just got back here, and you guys are like, your lives are full of sin, and he's not only pulling out his hair on his head, he's pulling out the hair on his beard. Ouch! He is weeping. At the beginning of this chapter, he is prostrate on the floor. He is weeping bitterly, bitterly because of the sins of the people. Anybody weep over your sins? Ask your mother. <laughs> he wept, and the people saw. Because of what they had done is they had gone against the covenant of God. They got a little bored, they got a little distracted, and they began to marry women who were not of the same faith. Now, in the tradition of the time, women raised the family 
and the faith in their faith. So if you marry a foreign woman, they are not going to be raised in the Jewish tradition. What are the Ten Commandments? One God. I am your God. I am the one. This seems so harsh unless you begin to realize the cost. God had made a covenant. The best way maybe I can say this, Jack used the example that was much more prevalent in the time of Jeremiah where there were sacrifices of, of children, human sacrifices. So you might marry a pagan woman and what would that mean for your children? Time of Ezra, that's not as clear, but it's still a breaking of the covenant of a relationship with God. We might get it if we thought about having a relationship with God as a married relationship. And then we decided to go out and commit adultery. We wouldn't stand around and go, well, that's okay. You know, we just got a little distracted. No, it's, it's not. And that's what Ezra was trying to say, and that's what the leaders recognize, is that the problem is, as we've taken on these wives and raise children, we no longer are raising them in the tradition to which God has called us, and it's affecting sin in our life. It's beginning to happen the way it happened again. Ezra, who doesn't look very popular, is this weeping priest that comes and shares with the people. And then together they realize, we've lost our first love. We've gone the wrong direction. Yeah, it's costly. We're going to send our wives and children back to the homes from which they came. And we're going to repent. And we're going to be the community that God intended us to be. We're going to sit together as a faithful community. There's a little caveat here where Ezra goes, either show up at worship, show up where you're supposed to be, or you'll be cut off. Now, most of us think about Sunday morning, we come to church, except for the 8,000 things that Pastor Neil and his committee has given us to do that puts us in more fellowship and more community all over the place. But many of us go home and we turn on the TV and we watch, you know, what's going on. Other things were distracted, but for the Jewish community, everything that you did was in community. So you sat together and worship, you assembled and worship. And then you would go out and your home life would have worship in it. Everything you did was about community. You shopped with those who are of the same faith. You hung with those who are of the same faith. If you're going to cut off people from that, truly, you will be separated. I've called you to myself. I've made a covenant with you. You got into trouble when you didn't follow that before. And Ezra calls the people back. And they assemble together and see once again that they need to be a people assembled who sit together in relationship with God. Now the absolute supreme leader, the absolute one that we follow is Jesus Christ. And I just want to read to you again from Matthew. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all become deserters because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. 
Jesus calls his team of folks together. They have had communion. They have had Passover together. He has broken the bread, offered it as his body, given them the cup, the new cup of the covenant. His blood poured out for them. They have sung a song, the Hallel song. Go, go home and, and during halftime you can read through it. It's not that long. It's Psalms 113 through 118. Just read that. That's a Hallel verbatim. They would sing that at the end of Passover. They would sing that at the end of worship. They had sung that. They are unified. They go out together. And Jesus sits down with them and goes, by the way, I'm going to be scandalized. That's the word used there. It's going to trip you up. And you're going to abandon me. When the shepherd is taken, like sheep you will scatter. Now, as we know, sheep are wonderful little animals. They, they're not super bright, but they're not super dumb. They know some things. One, they know fellowship. They like to hang together. They honestly really do. And they like a leader. Now, in our modern times, we have a dog. The dog is not their leader. He's their intimidator, and they all huddle together. But most of the time, when they're afraid, they scatter. That's not so different from us, is it? When we feel threatened, when we're afraid, we're scat we scatter. And when the shepherd is taken from the people, when Jesus is taken, he said, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to abandon me. Right after this, Peter says, no, 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 no. I'll never abandon you. And we're like, yes, 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 yes. You are going to abandon him. Jesus knows this. And he goes, and by the way, I'm going to go on to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. Because I'm a leader of people who are sinners. But I have called you to be in community. That's God's call in our lives. On Friday, they had a memorial service for Lloyd Ogilvie. Lloyd Ogilvie is a Presbyterian pastor. I had the privilege of working with him loosely. I was an intern from um, Fuller Theological Seminary. I worked with junior high kids and then became their junior high director. I was young ones, and that's what I did, and it was really fun, and Lloyd was there. He was a great mentor. He was a phenomenal preacher. They even have a preaching um, consortium in, at Fuller Theological Seminary under Lloyd Ogilvie's name. He was a, the chaplain for the Senate. This is a holy man. He wrote books. He preached, and he preached at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, and all the interns would sit way up on the balcony. They were all pews. We all sat together. We passed our notes. We'd everything, but we loved to listen to him. I mean, he, here was the guy that you wanted to emulate. One, I wanted his voice. I want Jack's voice, but Lloyd's voice was really big. So you kind of would want that. And he would preach, and he would start on this side, and he would preach around the room, and he would tell us. And it was so engaging. And there Jimmy Stewart was in the front row. Very often you would see him down front there. Hollywood was alive, but it was alive because this man preached the gospel. And he told a story of a friend of his who had been disenfranchised for some reason, no longer came to church. I don't know if it was some crisis in his life that was so painful he just couldn't be in church anymore. 
I don't know if he had been hurt by people, and I don't know why, but he had stopped going. And at one time he had been a person of such deep faith, and he was isolated and alone. And Lloyd went to visit him, and it was in the context of a, either a fireplace or, um, it's how well I don't remember this, but I remember there was a fireplace or a, a, a fire pit or something, and they were just talking, and it was his friend, and he spent time with them. Lloyd Ogilvy was a busy man, but boy, if you wanted time with him, he gave you time. And as he talked to his friend and he saw how isolated and lonely he was, Lloyd got up and he took some tongs and he reached in and he took one of the embers or charcoal and he just moved it away from the rest of them. Put it back and sat down. Continued to talk with his friend for a while and of course the embers began uh, that were together stayed strong, but that one that had been taken from the side began to fade. The light faded. Soon it became very dark, very cold. Lloyd got up again, went over, took the tongue, took the ember, put it back with the others. Very quickly, that ember caught on fire again and burn brightly. Jesus is our one leader. He is the one way that we know. But Jesus on the cross, arms are really wide. I'm going to have the choir help me, but I hope that you will help me too. So take your hand and think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who brings us into relationship with God. But Jesus invites everyone. Now, when your arms go wide, you're going to hit people. Go ahead, put your arms around them. Hang on to them. Be a community. Be a family. There we go. The choir knows how to do this. Sitting together. For we are finely woven together. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. We're unified by Christ Jesus. Amen.